Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Be sure to go to HabsUnfiltered.net to check out all the great giveaways, all the great sponsors, all the promo codes for each sponsor to save you money on amazing products. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 260. I'm your host, Blaine Putvang, and I'm joined now with a special guest, Alan Etmanski, the voice of the Kingston Frontenacs. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. And uh, you guys do a great job here. I listen uh, fairly regularly, so it's an honor to be on. Uh, so it's you and our mothers. Well, I mean, I wasn't supposed to say anything. They paid me uh, paid me a little bit not to say it was them, but I mean, I guess the secret's out. Well, we, we all have to moonlight somehow, make a little extra money. It's true. These days, especially. <laughs> Gig economy and all. That That is what it is these days. So, mom, if you're listening, thanks for paying other people to listen. I appreciate it. She she told me the checks in the mail. Ooh, you're in trouble then. <laughs> no, but seriously, I'm really happy you came to the show. Uh, I've been wanting to get you on here for about a year, and I, you know how it is. It uh, it things just build up, and you get your spots filled, and. But hey, better late than never. That's what I always say. And here we are able to do it. And it just so happens that uh, I think anyways, for me, that that it fits in perfectly because of the way the NHL draft is shaping up this this summer. Exactly. You, you've you got that firsthand knowledge of uh, OHL players who've gone through the building in Kingston. I think one of them might be named. What's his name? Shane. Shane Wright. I yeah, think. I don't I don't know if I've ever heard of him. Uh, I think I've seen a couple of videos saying that he's bad somewhere. Yeah, he, um, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, I think they're from North Bay. <laughs> yes, that would be, that would be accurate. Because people in Sudbury don't do that stuff. Never. They never would. They're the salt of the earth, the greatest people to ever meet. It's not like they throw a wolf over center ice every time they score and it just happens to be looking at the opposition bench hey you leave howler alone <laughs> he's a treasure is it the original howler or is it no. uh like 4.0 or 5.0 i think they're at the sixth one because when i was a kid that thing was pretty pretty beat up yes it's uh it's 
It's it's legendary though. And a lot of the people who haven't been to a game in Sudbury that I tell them about, it and they're like, what do you mean? There's a wolf that comes over center ice. I go, they have it on a clothesline. It goes out over the ice and then back in every time the wolves score. Yeah. When I was a kid, it was my dad's, one of my dad's friends. That was the guy that had the, the other end of the line and pulled the, uh, the wolf back into place. I feel like it would be one of the coolest jobs. That was his only job. There you go. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine on a show and tell day or something? You bring your, your dad in. Hey, what do you do? I'm the wolf guy. <laughs> teacher would just be like what do you mean the wolf guy well i mean in sudbury they they'd know yes they would they would for sure they uh it's it's those little towns like sudbury and north bay that really make the ohl special i think like they're they support their teams through thick and thin just blue collar towns and going to a game there it's a must for any junior hockey fan so you must really enjoy going up into the press box in Sudbury then. It's a little scary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it reminds me of, it kind of reminds me of the press box that we have here at the Kingston Memorial Center where the Queens Gales play. It's that old school, like directly over the ice. If you look down, you can see right over the bench and like the boards are, are parallel with you. And if you get too many people there or somebody walking up the ladder, it starts to shake a little bit and you wonder, is, is this going to hold up or what's going to happen? If it was a union job, it would, it, there'd be OSHA violations everywhere. Oh, definitely. But you know what? Because it's hockey, everybody just says, oh, it's fine. You'll be fine. It builds character. Yeah, and it adds character. I, I will say <laughs> that I do like those old press boxes because it just adds to the ambience when you walk in the arena. Like, there's so many arenas these days that are just cookie cutters of one another, and you can go from one to the other, and you don't really – you don't feel like you're in another team's barn. It's just another – it's another another rink, but those rinks like in North Bay, even after the the huge renovation, Sudbury, um, Peterborough's the Memorial Center, the Odd and Kitchener, those rinks, they all have those character feels and nooks and crannies and those little things like in Peterborough, the square corners that unless you've been there and experienced it, you won't know what I'm talking about. But uh, it's those things that make those rinks special. Yeah, yeah, the square corners. God, I forgot about those. Those hurt. Yeah, like they hurt and they are a nightmare for defensemen. Yes. I, I was shit defense to begin with and playing games in that rink. Oh, made it I so bet, much harder. I bet your goalie loved you. No, <laughs> no, he really didn't. <laughs> There's a reason why I joined the Navy and didn't become a pro player. There you go. Everything, everything works out for a reason. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but uh <clears throat> so we're talking about the ohl and there's a there's more than just shane wright in the ohl there's a ton of really good skillful prospects and we're obviously going to get to shane eventually but i want to start with some other players some uh, you know like uh del bell Belouz, for instance like, well i'm glad i'm glad that was the guy you brought up because he's one of my favorite prospects and he also seemed to absolutely annihilate the Kingston Frontenacs every time the two teams locked up. And he's this guy that's got the first year you looked at him and, and you didn't really think he was going to do much. And then this year, he's it's almost like that year and a half off has really helped him get away from the game and focus on what he needed to improve upon. And he's come in and he's looked like a player out to prove everybody wrong. And he's just big, he's physical, but he's got a ton of skill as well. And he always has me taking notice of him when he's out there. 
kills Kingston every time he plays him, but he does it to other teams too. And he's not, I don't want to say he's not flashy because he scores some, some like highlight real goals, but he just goes about his business real quietly. And at the end of the game, he's kind of like, I knew I could do that. Yeah. He's uh he's one, uh, he's one of those prospects that are hovering around the end of the first round, early second round that uh, I've had my eye on for a little bit because of that, that offensive skill set, but he's not a slouch on the defensive side either. No, he, he definitely takes care of his own end. And if you're going to, if you're going to go back and attack on, on Mississauga, you're going to pay the price because he's going to be there and he's going to make life extremely difficult for the opposition, whether, whether it's the forward or the defense pinching, he's always aware out there. He's always got that peek over his shoulder looking and, and seeing what's going on. And his defensive awareness is what sets him apart because as everybody knows, you can be a dynamo offensively, but if you don't have the defensive side to your game, then a lot of teams are going to overlook you. Yeah. Yeah. You'll definitely slide at that point. And with him, it's, it, he, he punishes them, not just by taking stealing pucks from them, but he's physical. He's, and he plays at a high pace, real high play, pace, which is which is impressive because sometimes those those physical guys they they maybe have a less of a step than some of the other guys, but he doesn't lose that at all, and he does it as you mentioned at such a high pace that that's what creates a lot of problems for players. Is you look at this guy and yeah, he's big, so sometimes they're a little slower but he comes in and the speed is deceptive with them. And sometimes he can catch players off guard. And so all of a sudden they've read it differently than the way it unfolds. And they're, they're struggling to keep up. And by that point, he's already by them. Yeah. So the Canadians have those picks at the end. How excited would you be to see him available on one of those picks and putting on a Habs Jersey? I, I absolutely would love that pick if, if they were able to get him late in the, in the round. Uh, I think that would be a steal for them. And, and he's a guy that when I look at him, he kind of reminds me of a higher skilled Michael Pizzetta kind of, and maybe even uh, Michael Pizzetta because he was pretty good in the OHL. When he got to the NHL, he had to carve out a niche uh, doing other things, but he could be that type of player. And we all know Pizzetta was, he became a fan favorite this year. He had the, that expanded role with the way the season unfolded and everybody started to take notice, but I think he could be that. And then some. Yeah. Uh, it'd be interesting to see where he, where he sets up. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential for draft slides after 20 because it's just the field opens wide. Well, and the one thing I think a lot of people aren't taking into account is that some of these players that are going to get drafted this year and off the top of my head, I'm thinking about of, of Paul Ludwinski out of the Kingston Frontenacs. These kids are rookies because of that lost year. This was their rookie year. And you've got those two crops of rookies, ones who are true first year players. And then those other ones who would be into their second year of the OHL who are now getting their first taste and they're still going to be raw when teams draft them this year. So there's going to be a lot of hits but there's also going to be a lot of misses and it's going to be interesting to see three, four years down the line, how this all shakes out because there's going to be some scouts that are going to look like geniuses and some you're going to say, what were they thinking? And that's where that whole development plan that uh, Gorton and, uh, and Hughes are bringing on board, bringing in more people, uh, building up that base, because if you're going to make picks, especially now, and you're not too sure, if you can have a team that can help them along, 
maybe some of those misses become hits. And that, that you're absolutely right on that. And I know that that a lot of fans and, and people across hockey circles have kind of knocked the Habs over the last however many years because their drafting record is, uh, we'll say less than stellar. There's some big hits in there, but there's also a lot of misses. And you look back over their first round picks and I'm sure if, if you were to go in and get the exact numbers, you just, your eyes would, would be wide open with how many guys that look like can't miss prospects that were misses. And just off the top of my head, I'm thinking Michael McCarron and Keita Sherback come to mind. Um, Louis LeBlanc all those years ago, like these were guys that everybody was touting as the next big thing and never panned out. And so now Montreal's retooled things. They brought in these pieces and hopefully with the right development, they're able to kind of groom those guys and, work with them through their junior careers, the end of the junior careers to get them in and get them into the roster spots. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how they work on that, but I wanted to kind of kind of step back and look at uh, what you had mentioned earlier with these true rookies and these second year rookies, the ones that missed that season. And one of those players is another one that lit up Kingston a couple of times. And that's David Goyette from the Sudbury Wolves. And he, he was super impressive this year. We saw, I think off the top of my head, twice this year he was in Kingston. And each time he made you take notice with the way that he played out there. And I, uh, a friend of mine coaches in Hartford with the Wolfpack and works with Goyette in the summer. He said, you got to keep your eye on this guy this year. Got to keep your eye on this guy this year. And I said, well, why? What's he special? And then he came to Kingston and I think he put up four goals or something in his first game. And I said, ah, that's why I got to keep my eye on this kid. And he was just dynamic and, and with the Wolves this year and was really a big reason um, why people were watching the Wolves because there wasn't a whole lot going on up there this year. It was a tough, it was another tough year for them, but Goyette was a bright spot for sure. Yeah, there, and, and he was centering the top line going against the top defensive pairings and the top defensive centers and his line was all rookies. And that, that speaks to just the kind of skill. And I think, a little bit too on uh, what you started with when you've got those two year or that double crop of rookies is that, yeah, they are rookies, but also they've, they've spent that time that year through zoom sessions. And I know a lot of teams are doing those zoom sessions where they're working on going over like what their systems are going to be or doing virtual workouts or skill sessions or what have you. And I think that that allowed these guys to step in and not miss that step that sometimes you do. I know thinking back to here in Kingston, Zade Wisdom's rookie year, it wasn't the greatest campaign for him, but he also didn't have that adjustment period where he could get acclimated to it and then get playing games. He was, he jumped right in and was, was thrown into the, the mix right away. Guys like Goyette, they're getting that year off where they can kind of settle in and get their feet wet before actually playing these games. Yeah, exactly. And, and- that's for that's for forwards it gets a little bit harder for defensemen uh specifically i wanted to talk about ty nelson of the north bay battalion you got to see them in the playoffs that kid is also another possible end of the first round uh draft pick and it all depends on who you're talking to some scouts are super high on him and others are are well we can leave or take them they're they're kind of on the fence with him, but I like what he brought. Um, I know the first in the regular season, he really impressed me when they made their first trip here to Kingston, but then in the playoffs is when he, I found he really stepped it up for the North Bay battalion. And that's what you expect out of a high draft pick is 
yeah, the regular season's one thing, but when you're seeing those matchups night in, night out, how do you respond to those? Are you going to get lost in the shuffle? Or are you going to rise above? And he really rose above. And him, along with uh, some of the overage players in North Bay, were really able to kind of catch Kinks off guard, I think, when, when they squared up in the playoff series. I don't think the Frontenacs expected North Bay to come with the attack they did, but a big part of that was because of what Ty Nelson possessed on the backside. Yeah, and I know that they got steamrolled in the next round against Hamilton, but Hamilton is just a juggernaut this year. They are an, uh, they are built, so the comparison to them, the NHL comparison would be, to me, like the Colorado Avalanche. They're just built heavy throughout their lineup. They've got forwards that are deep. They've got defense that are deep. I would say maybe their weak spot, like Colorado, would be in goal if I was have to say one. Um but they they were built to they were built to win and they were impressive. Like if you looked at the WHL, the OHL, and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, it didn't matter what team they went up against. In my mind, they were gonna they were gonna be equally as impressive in all three leagues. Right now, they're getting into a bit of injury trouble against the Windsor Spitfires and Windsor Mark Safard's doing a magical job there. So it wouldn't shock me if maybe he gets a look um, somewhere once the uh, playoffs are over for them. But that's a great series going on between those two teams. Yeah, we're getting we're getting spoiled a little bit with the CHL finals across the board um, with the Edmonton Oil Kings with Caden Gooley, for instance, that series, th- those games are really, really high end speed fun. I'm uh, just jonesing to see one. him. Yeah. I'm just jonesing to see Caden Gooley at, at the next level. Like His progression has just been out of this world and, and I can't wait to see him. Yeah, he's turned into a point per game player. Yeah. And, and he's got the size, he's got the physical, it's, it's, it's great to just see everything just kind of right at the right time coming together for him. Oh yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be really fun to watch him and Harris and Romanov and and the list goes on for the Canadians. It's, it's short-term pain, but then you start looking at, you look at the prospect pool and it's impressive to see just the guys they've got coming through and what's, what's going to be in the future for the Montreal. Yeah. And again, pointing to the development, get them in on board. And maybe these guys who are possibly a third pairing type become a second pairing, the second become a first, those, just those little adjustments and those little improvements go a long way. And I know this year in the OHL, like it, it was not uncommon to see Montreal with, with guys at games here in Kingston. And before in the season, I guess, one and a half years ago, two years ago, whatever it is, uh, pre-COVID, you'd see them maybe once a year, but it was a regular thing where we're seeing guys from the Montreal system come in and watch these players. So they're doing their due diligence this year, whereas maybe they would have had one or two viewings and then gone on with their business. And that's something I really noticed, especially after Hughes and Gordon took over, is that there was a presence at games and they were out there putting in the grunt work. Yeah, and it's hard to put together development plans if you don't really understand the game that these kids are playing. And a lot of times with the game that these kids are playing, if you're just watching videos, you're only going to see one aspect of it. There's a lot that happens that you're not not going to get on these videos. Maybe how they react to a bad shift or how they react to a lost battle or something like that. And you're going to get to see the character if you're in person viewing these games. And I know that um, Jeff Gordon and as well as Kent Hughes were at Kingston's game. And then Marty LaPointe was there as well a couple of times this year. Yeah, and that brings me to Shane Wright. Clearly, he's the consensus number one. And 
I know there's a lot of people pushing now for uh, Slavkovsky to be a number one, and they're even saying that the Canadians should pick him. But in my mind, that it comes down to Shane Wright or Logan Cooley. I I agree with that, and I'm a firm believer that within the modern NHL, that you win with strength down the center. And how many years have fans? been clamoring for Montreal to solidify their center position, get strength down the middle, and they just can't do it. Well, now they've got an opportunity to do it with Shane Wright available. Nick Suzuki is going to be your number one guy, but if you draft a Shane Wright, all of a sudden you can slot him in there with Nick Suzuki. You could have maybe Ryan Paling, Christian Dvorak, Jake Evans down the middle, and all of a sudden a team that struggled for centermen for, I don't know, I've been watching this team since 86, and a good chunk of that time they've lacked it. All of a sudden now they've got four or five deep that they can go and roll, and it's a problem that's solved. Shane Wright can give you that, that offensive side of the game, but he's also got the defensive side, which is maybe more impressive than the offensive. Yeah, and you look at the Canadians' uh, Stanley Cup run uh, in 21, the center line was probably the best they'd had in 30 years. Easily, easily. And you saw Nick Suzuki out there in those big moments getting the job done. That's right. As At only 21, 22 years of age, now you, you mentioned Shane Wright's defensive skills. There's no flash to his game. That's That's, I think, is what is causing a lot of the questioning about him is that he doesn't have the big flashy moment where he dekes out a bunch of people. So my, my big gripe with a lot of these people who are out there complaining about Shane Wright is that they see him once, maybe twice a year and that's it. And usually it's on a television broadcast when TSN picks up the game or CBC picks up the game. If you watch him consistently from game one to game 68 and then the playoffs this is a kid that's got the complete package and the other thing that a lot aren't taking into consideration is everything that he had to deal with this year uh in kingston so he he dealt with uh broken i think it was a broken nose or a broken jaw there early in in january in a game against hamilton took a puck to the face and so that set him back there was the covid um, he missed time with the Frontenacs to go off to the World Juniors, which was then shut down. So start and then stop. He also didn't play for a year and a half like some of these other guys. He he didn't go over to Europe and play anywhere. He was at home, didn't do any of that stuff like some of the other kids. And so despite all this, he still goes out and he has himself a spectacular year. Like you can look up his stats and if you were just looking at what people are saying about him, you'd say, oh, probably struggled offensively, but that's not the case. Like the numbers are crazy good for any player. He just happened to be playing on a team that had Lucas Edmonds, who was out of his mind this year. Um, And he still put up numbers. Shane Wright did this year, but as much as the numbers are are good and you, we started talking about the flash in it, he's just consistent. And that, that maybe is the more important thing because, yeah, it's nice to have those flashy goals where you're on the highlight reels, but there's a lot of times where you see just that goal from whatever player it might be and then nothing else from them. They have that one moment and then nothing else, whereas Shane Wright, every single game, something he's, he's doing something to impact the game. Yeah, he's just steadily scoring 30 to 40 goals, putting up 90 to 100 points. 
and covering off defensively. For instance, I, I mean, you watch some of the games. Um, there's there's more than a few times where you see a play develop where he's he's moving uh, moving towards the boards. He's trying to get something to the middle, and then he feathers a pass to someone that they just miss or they didn't expect it. So one of the one of the things that a lot of people who watch the game but maybe haven't played it won't understand and it's it's been explained to me by players that are at high levels is that sometimes playing with a player like a Shane Wright is very difficult because he thinks the game so differently than everybody else whereas he might be thinking that you're going to go one way and which makes sense but the the normal play would be go the other way so he's throwing it there and then all of a sudden it breaks down but that's just because the way he thinks the game so if he progresses and makes the jump to the pro level well maybe that that play that broke down at the OHL level, all of a sudden it's connecting at the NHL level. And now you're starting to say, well, okay, that makes sense why he was doing that before. Yeah, exactly. There's um, once you get to the pro ranks, more and more players are at that level. So he will, he'll pair better with some of them versus what he may have had in junior. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really good point. And you've got in junior, you've got players coming and going all the time where, injuries world junior camps canada russia series what have you whereas in the nhl it's a pretty consistent thing where if you start with one lineup chances are especially if you're a higher end player you're going to be playing with those guys at the end of the year and there's not going to be a whole lot of disruptions except for maybe an all-star break or an olympic break if they happen to work that out down the road and so that's that's one of the benefits to, that I see Shane having at the pro game is that he's going to have that consistency from the start of a year to the end of the year with very few disruptions. Now, I mentioned the flashy. He, he doesn't have the flash, but it's it's more substance, in my opinion. And listening to Luca Caputi, the head coach, rave about this kid and how he's willing to do anything asked of him. To me, that that means more than making a flashy goal. It's, it's a bang on about him is that, that he is about making the team better. So if he has to go and play a fourth line grinding role, he'll say, okay, what do you want me to do? Like, how do you want me to go about that? He's going to, he's going to ask those questions. He's going to go out and he's going to do it. I've had the, the pleasure to interview him a few times. And even in his rookie campaign with the France and then this year, it was always about you'd ask him about a moment in a game and he'd always heap praise on his teammates or talk about something his teammates did or how so-and-so did this that was able to get them to win the game. And that's really the mindset that he has is that it's all about putting the team before himself. And you can't teach that. That's one of those coaches always say that's the intangible. Well, that's one of them is, is the willingness to put your team goals above and sometimes you see guys at the at the ohl level light it up they get drafted to the nhl and then their roles change and they're not able to go and adapt to that new role they don't want to do it or they can't do it or what have you but with shane that's one of the that's one of the things that jumps out is that he's willing to change his game to help the team and and we saw it at the world juniors and even at the uh, under 18s when he was there last year in texas is that it changed a little bit for him how he was playing, but he still succeeded. Yeah, and he, being um, an exceptional status player, there's been a lot of, uh, well, the spotlight's on him, pretty harsh. And he gets all these comparisons. 
you know, they're talking about McDavid's point totals versus his, and you know, Bergeron's defensive play versus his. But in, in my view, he, he reminds me a lot of what Tavares was in the OHL. That's a very, very good comparison. And, and I know everybody talks about the Bergeron, but I look at, like you said, Tavares, or I look even at a Jonathan Taves type of player where the 200-foot game is strong, and maybe they're not going to blow you out of your, your seat, but certainly he's going to take care of things that at each end of the ice. And if you were to ask him who his NHL comparison would be, I think he'd just say, I'm trying to be Shane Wright because that's the type of kid he is. I'm just trying to do uh, go out and play my game and let the chips fall where they may. Um, and I, you touched on the exceptional status and that's, that's one of the things that kind of it's uh, it's a bother to me because these kids come in with that title and then all of a sudden this pressure is on them and, and, it's because of their play, but they come in. And so the gap between those kids is so wide, but then all of a sudden you play one, two years and that gap's closing, but we're still expecting that kid to be performing at the level he was when he came in. And I don't think it's fair to him because the player you are at 15, 16 is going to be different from the player you are at 18, 19. And even the, the player you are in May of your year is going to be different than the one you are in September. And so I think with the exceptional status tag, things get skewed a little bit on, on our expectations. And I think that for a lot of people, Shane Wright came in and he, in his rookie year, blew things out of the water, beat, I think he beat Connor McDavid's point per game or whatever they said. And so everybody expected it this year, but it wasn't the case. He refined his game and I think even improved because then he took care of the finer details and maybe that, that cost him some offensive points, but it made him a more complete player in the end. Yeah, it, in watching how he was moving himself back into the defensive position, there's there's been a knock on him for not being 100% uh, full out back check. But in watching the positioning, most for almost every time, it, it's an even an even rush, a two on two, and he's covering the third man in. He he doesn't need to be that first man back. And he's reading that play properly. And I'll tell you one thing. And I, if Frontenac fans are watching this and they're listening to me, I think they'll probably agree. Kingston wasn't a great defensive team this year. So, so that people are taking notice of that is, is great for him. And it shows just hit the maturity in his game um, because Kingston was very much like we might give up six goals, but we're going to go out and score seven. And that kind of seemed to me like that was their, their, MO all year was that we'll outscore teams and kind of put a bandaid over our defensive woes. And so I think playing on a system like that might cause people to say, well, his defensive game isn't really great, but it wasn't just him. It was everybody. Yeah. And so that it's might, a team that's game. A, yeah. And, and that's a, a byproduct of the system that they played. Now, a hypothetical, the Canadians do pick Shane first overall, um, do you believe that he would benefit from another season in the OHL? So I've had this question and I've gone back and forth on the answer. Um, it's a tough one, right? Because he's either in the NHL or he's in the OHL because of the rule. Yeah. Um, and so there's no AHL available to him because of his age. He's not like a Lucas Edmonds where you can send him to the AHL. Um, and it's tough because at the OHL level, like there's not a whole lot left for him to accomplish except for that league championship, which would be kind of a, a personal 
accolade or, or something to that effect. He's going to get drafted to the NHL, whether it's one, whether it's two, whether it's three, um, he's going to accomplish that this year. And which is the ultimate goal of players is they want to get drafted to the NHL. He's made the world junior team. He has under 18 gold with Canada. There is not a whole laugh, a lot left for him to do at the junior level, which is why I've kind of leaned towards getting him into the NHL um, after drafting him. But then you start to wonder, well, if you draft him and you're not playing him, what's that doing to his development? And so is it better to, for him to go back to junior, get those big moments, those big minutes, develop himself, and then bring him back the year after? I think in the end, it's going to be a similar situation to what Alexis Lafreniere went through with the Rangers, where maybe he's not playing every game, but he's still going to see a good chunk of time and he's going to stay up with the parent club. Yeah, I, I do believe that is more than likely what will happen. My personal view of it would be if you're not playing him 17 minutes a night, why not let him play in the junior? Because he missed that entire season of development. So it's, you're kind of holding him back a little bit. Yeah, and there's that you nailed it, not just a season, but a season and a half, and he didn't get those playoffs in his first year and any of that stuff. So I think there's benefits to both of it. If uh, if Montreal Canadiens want to go either route, I don't think either one is a wrong one. You're gonna get some. You're gonna get some naysayers as you always do, especially in the Montreal Canadiens camp. They really they love they love to come down on any decision, whether it's good or bad. But with Shane Wright, I think the big thing is you want to make sure that you're not hurting the long game with whatever decision you make. Yeah. You, you let the player decide to a, to a, a certain point, but with the development program that they're starting to put in place now, once they put a plan together, I'm hoping that they trust the plan and they, they just follow that because they're clearly not trying to win next year. So do you really I will want to say push this. Him in there? I will say this. I think Montreal is closer to competing than people think. Looking yeah. at the pieces that they have and how this generation of players develops quicker than past generations, I think that they will be com- more competitive than people think. Yeah, I know a lot of people are thinking maybe four years, but my view is they're probably going to make the playoffs in two. I, I was going to say, I think two years, they're probably competitive and not just making the playoffs, but like locking it down. God willing. <laughs> now I say that I think there's still some questions that have to be settled in terms of goaltending, but Caden Primo right now is showing that under pressure, he's looking pretty good down in Laval right now. I think that series with Springfield is one, one with game two tonight as we record this. Um, And so he, he's kind of started to answer some questions that I had in regards to that. He, I know his NHL showings haven't been great, but like Carey Price go on a run with, uh, with the farm club and then translate that into a fantastic debut in the NHL maybe. Yeah, I mean, he's putting up putting up impressive numbers. I mean, numbers that haven't been seen in about a decade, especially with a Canadiens affiliate. I mean, he's, he's got a, a nine thirty save percentage, uh, goals against under two. He has carried that team. I, I know that it was a sweep against Rochester, but that was not a, a gimme series either. No, Rochester was a very good team. Like they, there were times when they would go down, and they, I watched uh, their series with 
uh, Belleville back in, I think it was the opening round or the play-in round or whatever they called. And like, there were games where I'm like, oh, Belleville's going to win this. And then I checked the final score and I was like, oh, Rochester roared back. So uh, it shows that like, these aren't slouches teams that they're, they're beating. They're like legit quality clubs that Caden Primo is going up against. Some that have seen, uh, seen their offense buoyed by returns from NHL teams. And he's standing tall. And it's great to see because I, I was starting to question, I was like, well, is he really going to be the guy if Carey Price retires? Like, that's the plan is for him to step in. And from what I, I saw, I was like, oh, that's not really instilling a whole lot of confidence in me. But now this run, and I'm starting to feel a little bit better about it. Yeah, I think the whole everybody being injured thing and playing ECHL players did not help with his development not at all it was like hey kid come here okay you're gonna see 40 shots 50 shots a night have fun yeah in my line of work we call it cannon fodder (laughs) exactly Uh, but hey you know what he got a taste of it and I think probably those games gave him a view on what he needs to improve upon and when he went back to Laval he was able to work that tune it up and the fruits of that labor are now being seen yeah and on the development on and young players Jonathan Arwa is going to slot into tonight's game, his first professional game. So that'll be interesting to see. It's exciting to see. I, I read that this morning and I was like, oh, let's see. Let's see how he does. There's a lot of hype around him. And, and I hope that I hope that he he meets the expectations. But as we know, in uh, Habsland, they can be a little lofty sometimes, especially for the French Canadian players. And um I know that they all clamor to have that French Canadian presence in the lineup. So I'm hoping that he can, he can come through. He looked real good in the, in the junior year this season and really had heads turning and garnered himself a, a little bit of attention and rightfully so with the year that he had. And I think he's, he signed, right? He is signed. It starts next year. He's on a, an ATO right now. Yeah. So, so he did enough to get that and, it's a low risk move. If you're the Montreal Canadians, if it doesn't turn out, well, it's, it's a league minimum contract and you're, you're done away with it in three years. Um, but if it does pan out, you found diamond in the rough. Well, I, I don't know how rough it would be. He was the first overall pick in the queue in 2020. It's true, but we all know that uh, first overall picks in the junior drafts don't always translate to NHL success. Yeah, like that McFarland kid in Sudbury who, had, who was an exceptional player at one point. Yes. Uh, whatever happened to him? Uh, Florida drafted him, and then I don't know. <laughs> uh, he probably he wound kinda... up coaching somewhere. Oh, more than likely he's running a hockey camp for kids somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> at the very <laughs> least. Um, all right. So we'll just move to the Canadians now. We've talked about junior. We've, we've covered uh, – the the, uh, the Laval Rocket. Let's go to the Habs and talk a little bit about Carey Price's Masterton. That is, I so I love that he got the award because I think it's absolutely deserved. Just everything he did to get back and to even play a game, knowing what a he dealt with in November when he entered the substance abuse. Um, well, we say that, but I don't ever think that like. When he entered it, it was just he was entering the program, right? They never yeah. said that it was substance related. So um, entering the program anyways, he felt the need that he needed to go in there and get help. And um, he did that, which is huge because taking that first step is you can't help. Nobody can help you if you don't help yourself. Um, and then he comes back from that and deals with all the, the uh, fallout from his injury and the setbacks and stuff. 
And right in the title of the Masterson Trophy, it talks about perseverance. There is probably no other player in the league that went through more to get back than Carey Price. And I, looking online, one of the comments I saw some, from somebody was, oh, I wonder why they gave it to him. He went through probably one of the worst years that he's had this yeah, year. Other than Kevin Hayes, I don't think anyone's ever had a, a worse time in the last few years. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And and so he like was one thing after another after another for him. And who knows, this might be the last run for him, uh, depending on how this summer goes. It, you can check different stories and you'll get different reactions from everywhere but at the end of the day Carey Price is going to have to do what's right for him to have quality of life afterwards which we all forget is that these are players and then they're humans afterwards and they're they're going to have that life yeah exactly they're going to have way more time after their playing career than they did during their playing career like they're going to be looking at 40 50 years after this and with him he's got three kids i think three or four yeah so he's he's looking at the long picture and if he's not gonna have quality of life if he tries to scrape together a season well then this was it and what a way to go out for him yeah big 10-2 win and a masterton exactly and a 10-2 win right after gila fleur passed away yeah exactly there's so many the the numerology in the last half of that those last few weeks was just everything just kind of clicked. It's like the ghosts from the form were taking over. Finally. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's taken a while, but Hey, yeah, at least, at least they're there. And maybe this is the start of something new. I know that in the past they've made changes in, in the management and the coaching and it was more or less kind of the same feeling afterwards, but, with the hiring of Jeff Gordon and then Kent Hughes and Marty St. Louis, Vincent, Vincent is involved, I think too. Yeah. Um, it really feels, it feels like the ushering in of a new era for the Montreal Canadiens. Marie-Philippe Boulin's now involved. They hired Chantal Maccabea to handle the press and the media relations, which has been fantastic. It's, it's brought them right into the, the new era. Whereas yeah. before yeah. it was all old school. And I, it feels like it just feels like something big is happening for the Montreal Canadiens and they're heading towards something big. Whereas in the past, it was kind of like they're spinning their tires. Well, I mean, you just look at the coaching carousel. It was the same three coaches over and over and over and over again. Which drove me crazy because there are so many good young coaches out there that the fact that, and it's not just a Montreal problem, the NHL's terrible for just going back to the old these old guys that it like it's about time somebody thought outside the box yeah and they they did that hiring marty salo and i love it and i know that the coaching fraternity was like wow he hasn't put in his time and yada 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 but you know what like there is something to be said about a guy who's played at the high level done everything and can relate to the players and the the moment that sticks out for me was him and Cole Caulfield at practice. And he's teaching him about the fake, and then you rotate, and then you fire. And then the next game, it was exactly what they worked on. Yep. And I said, that is why Marty St. Louis is the right person. Well, It's a guy who, 
like he didn't have a lot of coaching experience, but it's someone who at every step of his development as a player had to work on his game and prove himself to get any single role to move up. So he's, he clearly knows those little ins and outs of the game. And he's because of that, the players are going to respect him. And whereas I don't know, I don't, I'm hesitant to say stuff about past coaches because they are their coaches, but they're also guys and family guys and all that stuff away from the rink. But when it came to hockey under Dom Ducharme, the guys looked absolutely miserable. And then Marty St. Louis took over and you were seeing the smiles. There were laughs. There was enjoyment on the bench again. And I'm a firm believer that if you're enjoying what you're doing, then you're going to start to see results. Well, I mean, how motivated are you to go into work when you hate your job? Exactly. It all makes sense, right? It does. And so even, even though the, even though it was a tough, there was a, it was a tough go at the end of the year and maybe they didn't get the results. There were some small victories away from the win loss column that the Habs can take solace in. Cole Caulfield, for instance, coming right to my head and don't even try to tell me, nobody can tell me that Dom Ducharme didn't cost him a Calder trophy. I mean, he did score eight points under Ducharme. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He did that in two games under St. Louis, but you know. Yeah, you know. No correlation, right? None. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I I know Dom Ducharme. He's a a really nice man. Uh, He he won a Memorial Cup here in Halifax. So people here absolutely adore him. But like you mentioned, I, I just think that his approach and his message just wasn't hitting and and a lot of people think because you're a good coach at the junior ranks you're going to be a good coach at the pro ranks but it's two different ways of coaching and you have to adapt at junior you're dealing with teenagers at the pro level you're doing dealing with men who are doing a job and that's the biggest difference is that the motivation and how you approach them is going to be completely different some guys can do it some guys can't and I think that Dom Ducharme, although he had success in that playoff run when they went to the finals, I think part of that was the players just going about their business. Yeah, with with Shea Weber there, Carey Price, it, it did seem like they kind of rallied around those two and just listened to whatever whatever uh, Weber told them to to set up. Yeah, yeah, that that's kind of the vibe that I got is that it was almost like they were rallying in spite of the coaching or that yeah, I guess. Yeah. Or that Luke Richardson and Alex Burroughs were doing more of the coaching. Which, which brings a begs a good question. Uh, St. Louis has mentioned he wants to keep everybody in place for now uh, for at least another season. What, what's the special teams going to look like? Cause you got Burroughs uh, who is at the helm of one of the worst power plays the Canadians have ever seen statistically. Uh, but it did start to show signs of life in the last 20 games. It did. It started to come around a little bit and all of a sudden they were trying new things and experimenting and they were starting to find the back of the net a little more. And I think that probably you give Burroughs another go to start the year, but then you can always tweak it. If you get in there, I think Alex Burroughs is a good coach. 
Um, and I think that he, he gets the players and he can relate to the modern day players, but he just may, maybe he's not a special teams guy. I know that in Vancouver, they all said that he used to come in with pen and paper to the special teams meetings and make notes and really was so detailed when it came to that. But sometimes you just, you can't, it's, it's the special teams. It's, it's different than five on five. And yeah, you've got to be able to think differently and come up with some creative solutions. And maybe he's not the guy for that. I will give him a pass on last season because it was a train wreck all around. And so now that they're going to have a more complete lineup, they're going to have bodies back. They're going to have an NHL lineup. I'll, I'll wait and see what it looks like maybe over the first month and a half uh, before I jump to conclusions in that. And that was, that's kind of the model that I think a lot of Habs fans should take is just be patient and wait and see. Because last year, more often than not, on nights, you were seeing an AHL, ECHL with some NHLers here and there. Yeah, there was, there was more than one game where you would look at the lineup and say, this is a lineup that would not be allowed to be, step on the ice in a preseason matchup because it did not meet the minimum prerequisites. Yeah, you have to dress like six veterans or something, and there were some nights they didn't even have that. Yeah, and uh, seven first-round picks or something, something along those lines. And they, they missed the mark for several games. And they still, you know, they still started to kind of look okay in the back half after Marty St. Louis took over. Yeah. And, if, and they have, if they have a, if they have a legitimate NHL goal, the starting goaltender, then they probably see wins in some of those games instead of losses. Yeah. I mean, if uh, Jake Allen were, were playing more of the games that Montembeau was playing, perhaps. And I don't mean this as like a slag on Montembeau because he came into a tough, tough situation yeah. and he made, he made the best of it. And he certainly deserves a little bit of respect for that. Um, I just don't think he's a starting NHL goaltender. No, he's, he's a, he was a stopgap. Yeah. Yeah. He was a guy that they could get for nothing. Exactly. And going into next season, depending on, which goalies are in net, like you mentioned. I'm expecting to see a full season of what we saw under St. Louis in that second half, where it's a team that is in games, they're trying, they're going to show that compete level. Even if they're down four goals, they'll, they'll make an attempt, but they're going to lose a lot of games. And I'm okay with that. If they're trying these new things and they are, they're out there and they're they're going about business in a new way because too many times we've seen the same old, same old from Montreal and it's the same stopgap band-aids that they're throwing in the lineup. But if we start to see new combinations or guys get more ice time instead of rolling with the same old guys over and over again, then I can live with that. I can live with a bit of effort and a bit of change. If it takes if it takes a season before it starts clicking, so be it. But give me that change, give me that different look because it's been since '93 that the same old, same old hasn't worked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, watching the young guys step in and be given bigger roles, I think, even if they're losing, that I think is what's going to keep the fans buying tickets, going to the games and making the experience at the Bell Center fun. And it wasn't, early on, it wasn't fun last year. No. 
there was there the fans didn't want to go you were you could go and find tickets easily which tells you everything you need to know about the situation because montreal is notorious for being hard to find tickets for yeah unless you overpay in a secondary uh sale site or yes. something yes now, you're going to see that coming up at the NHL draft. The tickets are going to be on sale uh, on Friday of this week. They're going to be expensive and you're going to see a ton of them on the resale. And, and I've already got friends that are, they're messaging me. Do you know when they go on sale? Do you know when they go on sale? And I say, Oh, they'll announce it. And then today I saw the tweet from uh, Chantal McAbee who said they'll go on sale Friday. And it's good to see some excitement regarding the draft. Yeah, I, it, there's a buzz around it, and it's exciting. Montreal's got the first overall pick. There's this this kid Shane Wright that that everybody's talking about. There's a bit of intrigue on whether he's going to be the guy or if they're going to go with another pick. And it's all shaping up to be like a great event in Montreal, uh, especially after missing it last year. And with all the assets they have, that they can move up, they can make trades. Something could happen on the draft floor. I would love it if if Montreal were to go one, two or something like that. That would be impressive. Uh, I think like, the like last talk time... about making a bang, right? Like, yeah. Oh, especially with you hosting it. Oh, <laughs> right. I mean, the last time they did that was in 69 yeah. going one, two. Yeah. And that was, that was back in the uh, 12 team era. Yeah. So, so... It should be a, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Like, uh, I go to these, uh, I go to the draft pretty much every year, except for the ones that were shut down. Um, so to me, this is exciting. It's fun. It's what I look forward to. I was, I was planning to go to the draft and then um, a buddy of mine, he was getting married and I'm the best man is having a Friday <laughs> wedding. It just so <laughs> happens to be right when the draft is. So I can't go on the Thursday and I can't go on the Friday. Uh, cause you got the rehearsal dinner and you got to do yeah. all that uh, Yeah, right away, right away. When they announced the draft was in Montreal, I said, okay, I'm going to look at the date and cause Shane Wright's there. Lucas Edmonds is going to go. Paul Lewinsky's going to go. We could do something for uh, our broadcasts and do some filming and stuff. And then I looked at the dates and I go, wouldn't you know, it just happens to be that weekend. Oh, I hope the groomsman gift makes up for it. Oh, uh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. He's a Habs fan too. So, so we'll see. So you have a TV in the background. Yeah. Well, I, I already told him, I said, listen, I'm going to have it on my phone. So I hope that's okay. I don't think he'll mind. He'll probably be poking you going, what's going on? What's going on? Well, we'll be in the middle of speeches. I'm like, oh, yes, they drafted him. <laughs> exactly. Now, that means you're open on Saturday. And for my listeners, uh, Habs Unfiltered is going to be hosting a post-draft gathering at McLean's Pub where we can sit down, have a pint, and discuss the draft at length. So you're more than welcome to join us. I'll keep a spot for you. Oh, McLean's. That's a, that's a legendary spot in Montreal. I've been, I've seen it once or twice. It's such a spot. I love it there. People are so hospitable. And yeah. if you become, if you become a regular, they remember your name when you walk in. It's the best. Yeah. And Stuart Ashton runs the bar. He's a great guy. Habs fan. Uh, he listens to the show once in a while. So he, that's, that could be why he was more than happy to let us bring a bunch of people in and buy a ton of beer. Hey, I, I'm sure it has something to do with it, right? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I, but I love that spot there. The McLean's 
It's Montreal on game night, pregame, postgame. It's just electric down there. And there's so many, there's so many good people involved running the bars, whether it's McLean's or the Peel or the Orchard. It's just, it's great to see them finally coming back and getting some life in those establishments. Yeah, because in the summer, it's easy to get this, uh, get people in because it's Montreal in the summer, all the festivals. I mean, I've, I've uh, sailed some of the Canadian warships. We go up, uh, go up the St. Lawrence River, we stop in Montreal and we unleash 200 sailors on the town. <laughs> that, that alone sounds, gets a bunch of bartenders. Sounds, sounds like a fun night right there. From what I remember. <laughs> You've heard stories. Someone has told me stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I personally just stay on, stay on board the ship and read a book. Yeah, I bet, right? A good, yeah. a good thriller. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, uh, no, so, yeah, so <clears throat> you're more than welcome to join us. If you can make it, we'll keep a spot for you. Uh, everyone else is invited as well. We may even do a live uh, live broadcast of the show, maybe uh, Ooh, live stream it. Exciting. Yeah, we're, we're going to try out some new platforms perhaps and see what happens. So everyone's welcome to join us. Um, <clears throat> but for tonight's episode, I want to thank you for coming on. It was, you know, you, I, I sent you the message just a couple days ago and you were more than happy to jump in. So I truly appreciate you doing this and giving me your time. I appreciate the invite. It's always great to uh, sit around and, and talk about the Habs and the, tie in the Frontenacs with it. And I listen to you guys uh, pretty regularly through the years. So it's great to finally be able to hop on with you and have a little chat. Well, you're always welcome to come back. Uh, we'll, see what, we'll see about getting you back on a little bit more frequently. And I can tell you, 51, right? It'll look good in the Blue Blanc Rouge. I've already got a couple of t-shirts on the go. It was funny after the lottery. It was, uh, I can't remember what round it was for the Frontenacs, but we had a game like the day of the lottery. And there were some fans that held out showing up to the game until the lottery was complete. And then all of a sudden these Habs shirts just unload in the crowd. And I think we had more Montreal Canadiens jerseys than there were Frontenacs that night. Well, I mean, I, the color scheme for the Habs jerseys just out, it outdoes the Frontenacs colors. There was a year, the year of COVID hit, the Fronts did a throwback game to when they had the Kingston Canadians jerseys. So they had the, or no, it was the season before that, but they had the red, white, and blue, and it looked stellar. Keep those. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Way better than, uh, well, it was Boston Bruin colors, but now it's more Newfoundland Growlers. It's not too bad, I guess. But the Growlers are Leafs affiliates. Yeah, it's kind of a slap in the face. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And who in Kingston even likes Toronto? Nobody. Right? My God. (laughs) It's it's like Queens versus RMC. Oh, oh, I've got my RMC t-shirt on this today. (laughs) I'll tell you, RMC. As of late, we've been getting the better of Queens in the Car Harris Cup. So we have that. Well, I think that's all thanks to uh, Coach Richard Lynn. Is it ever? He uh, he has injected life into the program and um, turned it around in a big way. It's a team that's now outside of this year um, because COVID kind of wreaked havoc. But uh, 
the year before and made playoffs and were right there uh, challenging the year before that. Yeah, and I have family that lives in Kingston, so I would love for them to see, you know, get to see some a little bit more high-end games like that. That'd be, it would be great for them to watch that. Unfortunately, they work in the prison system, so getting out is a hard, a hard thing to do. <laughs> the Car Harris games are some of the best hockey you will ever see. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's always electric at the, uh, they have it at Leon Center now, but I can remember when I first moved to Kingston, I guess just over a decade ago, they were still holding it at Constantine Arena. And so the rink was packed. Half in the bleachers were, were Queens fans, half were RMC cadets. And then down in the front row, it was the Sailors and they had the West Point troops in. And it was just, it was raucous. It was one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen at a hockey game. And now, thankfully, we're going to start going back to this. This yes. is what I'm finally, I'm excited to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel of this pandemic. Yes, it's coming and uh, slowly but surely. And it's going to be nice to return to that normalcy. I agree 100%. And on that note, I want to, again, thank you for coming on. And to my listeners, thank you for listening. And remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. <laughs>